Salufalava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, or Luingo Susana Suisuiki. Coming up. We're trying to encourage younger people to look at journalism as a future. Pacific reporters are urged not to get too caught up with geopolitical issues. Also, while refugees are exiting Nauru, the future is unclear for those in PNG. And later on... There's been such a change in attitude across our entire community. It's Men's Health Week. How well are Pacifica men looking after their health? The editor of the Marshall Islands Journal, Giff Johnson, is urging Pacific journalists not to be swayed by geopolitical narratives and to stay true to reporting stories that affect people in their daily lives. Starting today in Maturo, Mr Johnson, who's also the co-founder of the Pacific Media Institute, is hosting Pacific journalists and media trainers for a workshop and summit on democracy. Increased competition between the United States and China in the Pacific has dominated headlines and political discourse over the past few years, but Mr Johnson says while it's important to stay on top of such developments, they're far removed from the day-to-day realities of island living. Koroi Hawkins spoke with Giff Johnson about reporting in today's geopolitically charged Pacific region. So Pacific Media Institute in the Marshall Islands uh, has planned a, a, a workshop series, uh, a media workshop, uh, a media workshop to happen in mid-June. It's, it's five days, four days of intense workshop uh activities with a really interesting group of regional uh, regional trainers. And then it segues into the fifth and final day uh, of the workshop, which is actually what we're, what we're calling the Summit on Democracy, Public Engagement, Communications in the Media, which is being co-sponsored uh, by the speaker of the Nidijela or the parliament here, along with our Pacific Media Institute, for elected leaders and high-ranking government people to connect on media-related issues uh, in the Marshall Islands. And so this is all coming together. And what's kind of amazing is that originally we were pitching it mostly as a Marshall Islands training event, uh, but people have gotten very excited about it, and various sponsors have joined in and wanted to support it more broadly. So we've been able to, uh, at this time, it looks like we're going to have about 10 government public information officers, media staff from the from the subregion, from the Micronesia subregion, Palau, Federated States of Micronesia, Nauru, uh, and Kiribati coming in to join with our Marshall Islands uh, uh, workshop participants. So it's just turning out to be a really interesting thing, and we hope we can make it all happen. The the interest obviously um, speaks to the need for, for this kind of training in this kind of space. What Why is it important is in this day and age that we have training and, and looking at the topics that you're looking at in this workshop? Yeah, so it... You know, when you talk about journalism and people's ability to cover issues, write about things, the people need to have foundation about what journalism is all about, but also uh, really need to be able to hone their skills 
And, you know, we're, we're bringing in the, the, the trainer team that we've got is coming from around the Pacific. And these are folks who are at the top of their media careers. And they're, you know, they're, they're folks with 20 or 30 or more years of media experience. And I think that experience in a workshop setting with younger people uh, is really, really fabulous. And one of the things we found out, the Pacific Media Institute found out last year when we ran a a media workshop called uh, Learning to Tell Your Pacific Story, was that there was, uh, we combined a group of working journalists with students because we're trying to encourage younger people to look at journalism as a, as a future. And so we combined working journalists with students and we found this marvelous synergy developed between the younger students and the working journalists. So we're doing the same format again this month with a group of working journalists and students because we're both trying to encourage younger people to get into the field developing helping to uh, upscale and improve the working journalist skill set uh, so that they're better prepared for doing their jobs that's our morning track of the training and the afternoon track is for public information officers from government and NGOs and what I'll say about public information officers is that they as a group get almost no training opportunities ever and the the possibility for professional development is so limited for people in government uh government public information office jobs like if, and if we look around the region like when there are events usually journalists working journalists get invited to cover a fisheries event or a forums uh, pacific islands forum event but very rarely do pios public information officers get this kind of uh, opportunity and i think that's why a lot of people are really interested including our marshall islands uh, folks who we have people from many different government ministries and ngos who who've already signed up and are are uh, going to be uh, participating in this workshop i want to um circle back to your comment about like telling your pacific story to sort of wrap wrap this conversation up and with all of the spin, we've heard of Corvus, we know about the geopolitics, the posturing, the positioning on the Western side, on the Chinese side. How do you, like, what is, what does that mean in terms of, of like, um, from a journalist perspective as, as sort of your role in, in cutting through all of this? You know, we live in the Pacific Islands and really there are issues that, 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 get beaten uh, by outside powers, you know, who are in this apparent battleground and, you know, always, you know, the, 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 the struggle between the U.S. and China. But truly, that's not a Pacific Island issue. Pacific Island folks are focused on many things and many issues that are just very important in their lives. And I think... Th- What's important with island journalism is to reflect the stories that are here. Of course, they're affected by what these big countries do, but looking at it through an island local lens is 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 the way to go because otherwise you just end up being buffeted around by 
media releases from the, you know the Americans or the Australians or the Chinese or the Taiwanese, and those things aren't necessarily on point to what people in the islands are thinking and doing and talking about. Reports that the last people remaining in Nauru under Australia's offshore detention policy would soon leave the island have been welcomed by the Human Rights Law Centre. But it's saying what about those still languishing in Papua New Guinea? While the number of people remaining in Nauru continues to fall as a result of transfers to Australia and resettlement in other countries, more than 80 people previously detained on Manus Island remain trapped in PNG. Many with serious health problems caused by years of detention, isolation and medical neglect. The Human Rights Law Centre's senior lawyer, Scott Cosgriff, told Don Wiseman about their plight and Canberra's refusal to do what it's obliged to do. It was always something of an arbitrary decision how people were treated when they arrived by boat to Australia back in 2013. The people who are still in Nauru and PNG today are people who arrived at that time. So it's almost 10 years that they've been living in these very difficult conditions under these policies. Some people who arrived at the same time weren't sent to Nauru or PNG and were allowed to stay in Australia. Some people were sent to PNG and others to Nauru and it was really quite an arbitrary decision that resulted in that. And it's also an arbitrary decision what's going on now. Almost 10 years later, the Australian government has taken some steps to bring the numbers who are remaining on Nauru right down. And if this continues, it won't be long before there are no longer any people left in Nauru who were sent there by the Australian government. The problem is PNG. Now, PNG, there are still about 80 people there. These are people who were previously detained on Manus Island, and they are not going to go away. And yet the Australian government's position is that it's no longer responsible for those people. All right, if we can unpack a few of these things. Why is it now, after all this time, that Australia is finally saying, bring those people here from Nauru? Well, the... People themselves and organisations like ours at the Human Rights Law Centre have been saying bring those people here for a very long time indeed and it's been very difficult under successive governments to get very much traction. In general the numbers have only been going in one direction because the people who were sent to Nauru and Manus Island were sent there many years ago. No one new has been sent to either place since 2014 or thereabouts and We know the story. People uh, really had their spirits crushed. They developed some really difficult physical and mental health conditions, which in many cases required them to be taken out of those places. People were, according to some doctor's reports, really hours or days away from, from losing their lives if they weren't brought to a place where they could get necessary medical treatment. And that meant it's been quite regular over the years to pe- for people to be brought to Australia for medical treatment. Alongside that, you've had agreements with other countries. Australia's position is that people can't settle in Australia, and yet it's also been very clear that neither Nauru nor PNG is a suitable place either. So there have been a range of arrangements made with other countries. People might remember an agreement that was made with Cambodia many years ago in 2016, Almost seven years ago now, an agreement was made with the United States to take some of the people who'd been in Nauru and PNG 
and most recently, of course, an agreement between Australia and New Zealand to do the same. So that has led to the numbers of people steadily coming down over the years, but there's a fundamental problem alongside all, all of this, which is that the numbers of people needing a solution in the form of a safe and secure place to rebuild their lives have always been larger than the number of places that exist under these agreements. There's been no indication as to why the coalition government is continuing to ignore PNG in this way. It certainly doesn't make an awful lot of sense if you look at the reality. What happened in 2001 is that the then Home Affairs Minister, Karen Andrews, announced with her counterparts in Papua New Guinea that the job was done, that the agreement was over, that Australia and Papua New Guinea were no longer going to have this arrangement whereby people who arrived in bo by boat in Australia would be sent to PNG. And look, that seems a sensible enough situation given what a failed policy it was. The problem is that Australia walked away from that arrangement while there were still more than 100 people stuck in PNG who'd been sent there. And it was always a denial of reality to say that those people could have normal lives remaining in PNG or that those people hadn't, from the day they arrived, been entirely under the control of the Australian government. It's clear that Australia has been responsible for their safety and for their future since the day they arrived. And that continues to this day, irrespective of what announcement might have been made on paper in the past. This week is Men's Health Week, an international campaign to raise the awareness of preventable health problems, whether that's physical or emotional, and encourage early detection and treatment of disease among men and boys. In New Zealand, the average life expectancy of males is four years less than females. The life expectancy for Pacifica men is 74.5 years, compared with about 80.3 for their non-Pacific counterparts. Earlier on today, I spoke with psychiatrist Dr. Siale Foliaki about the significance of the week for Pacifica males, particularly in the space of mental health. Over the past 20 years, Dr. Foliaki has been a key figure in establishing several Pacific mental well-being services in the county's Monaco region. Malolile, Dr. Fuliaki, how open are Pacifica men when it comes to their health? I think it's changing. I, you know, my experience of Pacifica men is that they are really, um, you know, there's been such a change in attitude across our entire community. And I think that for Pacific men as well, you know, we're shifting in terms of our own ability to talk about, emotional, about our emotions, label our emotions, and the stigma associated with mental health. I think it's decreasing in all communities, including the Pacific community. Do you think um, with the stigma, it's it's derived from cultural taboos or? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, it does. And I think historically, you know, if you lived in um, very tight communities where everybody knows everybody, um, mental health issues they are seen as uh, historically as um, you know sort of some sort of break of tapu, you know, historically and some sort of spiritual engagement. That means that you know the person that's been you know, that's mentally unwell, you know, it's a, it's a, the cause of that is a result of some, um, something that's done wrong, essentially. And so it gets, um, it gets constructed that way. And, you know, what we, what I believe and what I know to be true is that there are a lot of forces at work that lead to people having emotional and mental health difficulties, and those difficulties don't represent um, some 
sometimes it does. Sometimes the guilt and shame of things that we get wrong can lead to mental health problems. But that's in the that's a only a small part. The majority of people suffer from mental health problems as a result of factors that are way outside their control. And certainly, um, the spiritual dimension of that, um, you know, it always needs to be considered. But I think that there are much more obvious reasons why people get unwell. How culturally appropriate are the current services for our Pacific men? Uh, I think that it's changing. I think that the Māori community in particular are leading the way. I think that they recognise that the way that services are set up don't address things like stigma and the need for um, sustained relationships that they can build trust in. Um, and you know some of their traditional beliefs some of the more positive traditional beliefs, because not all traditional beliefs are positive, but some of the you know the positive um, traditional beliefs about not treating the individual, but treating the entire Sino community, and for us, you know, treating our ainga um, and our our families as part of the solution to the individual being unwell. Often, all of that is really, really relevant, and I think that Western-based services can often focus too much on the individual. But I do think that that's changing. You know, with you know. Mason Jury's ideas about the Faritapafa and the Fonofale, you know, I think that Polynesian society recognises that, uh, you know, help an individual be well, there's a whole lot of, you know, there are family things and wider social things that need to be addressed. It's election year. What more could the government do to provide more support in terms of mental health for the Pacifica community? I think the funding that's been made available to improve... Um, the support, the um, the number of people that are actually working in mental health and improving the quality of the service model. I think the money is available. I think um, it needs better coordination. It needs better organisation. And I think it really needs more trust in the actual communities to be able to implement things that work for them. And so I get the economies of scale. I understand the efficiencies that can be gained by centralising um, funding. And I, I really think um, that there's, you know, benefits to be gained as long as we don't lose the ability of, of smaller communities to kind of have some agency or some independence and autonomy in terms of, you know, being innovative and doing things that work for their local communities. And so when you centralise things, the biggest risk is the, lo- the, the loss of the ability of local communities to do what they believe is, is best for them rather than being dictated to by a central bureaucracy. And so it's only going to, only time will tell whether or not the central bureaucracy still leaves enough trust and individual communities do what they think is best for their own community. And so my, my hope is that, that that's how it plays out, that there is um, systems put in place that allow local communities to kind of organise themselves in a way that isn't sort of too um, driven by a central ideology. What's your message to men who are struggling right now? Oh, look, I... Um, you know, just in brief, I, I watch my older siblings when we return home to Tonga. It's like they get charged. They get like a um, a cell phone with a battery pack. They, there's something about the relationships that we have um, back home in the islands that really integrates and makes them come alive. And I think that um, my there's lots of things. You can eat well, you know, good nutrition, good exercise, all the well-being things that we talk about. But from a Pacific worldview, the thing that makes us, thrive the most are healthy relationships and so you know my advice to to, you know all the men out there is to pay a little bit more attention to the quality of their relationships with the people that they love and i think that would go a long way towards helping them with their mental health that's pacific waves for today to listen back head over to rnzi.com slash programs you can also download us on apple Podcasts, spotify and iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from so from myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.